I think people who think that traders pull money out of the market every month like it's some sort of a cash machine uh, need to realize that that's not the case. Certainly not in my case. And in a lot of people I know that's not the case. You know, I'm, I'm not the broker's favorite client because I'm not the guy spinning up the commissions like crazy. Uh, like Mr. Bruce over here spinning up his commissions. No, just <laughs> Stephen Goldstein, who said it to me on on my podcast, he said that you know it's just we all have these emotions, but the successful traders just seem to be able to have a better control over their emotions. What's up, traders? Welcome to the Day Trading Show. My name is Austin Silver. I'm your host. Today we're sitting down with James Bruce and our special guest. Garth McKenzie. Garth is from South Africa, now trading in the UK. Garth has over 25 years of trading experience. He's literally been trading longer than James has been alive. So you guys are going to love this one. It's a wide covering podcast. We talk about psychology. We talk about how technology has changed trading. We talk about just trading different markets, South Africa, the UK markets, the US markets. There's a lot here. You guys are going to love it. Make sure you connect with Garth. I put his links down in the description and also make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss future episodes. There should be a new episode every five days or so. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes podcasts, wherever you follow your podcasts, make sure you're staying up to date with us. We really appreciate it. Now enjoy the episode. What's up, traders? Welcome back to the show. Today, we sit down with my co-host, James Bruce, and our special guest, Garth McKenzie. Garth is from South Africa, currently in the UK, and we're really looking forward to chatting with him. Garth has his own podcast. He speaks with a lot of successful traders. He shares a lot of great content on social. So we're really looking forward to diving in with you today and really kind of, I want to know about your story a little bit, Garth, but I also want to know about you know, why you decided to start a podcast, what you've learned from some of your guests. I'm really excited to chop it up. So it's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks very much, Austin. It's it's great to be on your podcast, and uh, James also great to be on the other side of the mic from you because I know I introduced interviewed you on on my podcast some time back. Uh, so it's good to be on the other end of the microphone for this one. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to have uh, the tables turned. I I was a guest on a podcast last night. I know James, you said you were on a guest. You were a guest on a podcast today, so it, it's nice to flip the tables a little bit and get to speak a little bit more than just asking the typical questions that we do, right? Correct. It is. It's nice to be on the other side of the microphone and also not have to prepare because I've I've not prepared anything. We just I gonna don't talk. let anybody We're gonna wing it. Yep. People ask me all the time. The guy I had, a, I did uh, Dan Emerson. He was a, the episode before you did him last night. He's like, bro, can you give me an idea of what we're talking about? He was a little nervous. And I was like, bro. We're just talking about you. We're talking about trading. Like, don't overthink yeah. this. I, I think yeah. my audience really likes this show because it's casual, because like I, I want them to be drinking a beer at the end of the day and just popping this in, driving home from the office from the trading day and I pop this in and just get some insight. You know what I mean? And I try yeah. like like you do, you interview a lot of really good people that are just well-rounded from the background standpoint. Mm -hmm. I try to do the same. I don't want all Forex traders. I don't want all prop traders. I don't want all swing. I want all different things to try to yeah. show my audience the different ways of making money. But let's hear about you a little bit. Garth, before we uh, get this thing rolling, tell us uh, how long have you been trading? Why did yeah. you get into trading? And then maybe okay. you could stem that into why the podcast and when did that start? Okay, cool. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, a fairly long story, but let's go right back. So I, I've been trading. I actually started trading when I was a teenager. Uh, when I was about 16 was when I opened my first actual live trading account. You know, I uh, love how that. Did, yeah. So, so, and that, I mean, I'm 43 now, so I don't know, do the maths with that 27 years. 
We'll call and, it enough uh, experience. We won't put an exact number to it. We'll just call it enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's experience, but you know what? I, I think there in this game, enough. like You're right. there's never enough. You never right. know everything. You're always learning. And actually there's some days where I feel like I, I'm just 16 again, learning, You're damn <laughs> starting <right>. out. <laughs> damn right. So it's, you know, this game is, can be very humbling at times. Yeah. So, so that was kind of when I started, I've been trading a long time. Um, what got me interested was a strange story, but uh, I went to a boys' school in in South Africa that James would probably know, a school called Parktown Boys, and it was quite a rugby and cricket school. That's and cool. I remember uh, it was in quite an affluent area in Johannesburg. And one Saturday morning, my dad was driving me through to play cricket at uh, at one of our opposition teams in uh, in an area called Houghton, which is quite an affluent suburb but anyway you're driving through and there's all these mansions on either side of the road and I said to my dad no wow what do these people do to to live in this kind of neighborhood and he said oh you know they're probably all stockbrokers it was just a throwaway <laughs> line and uh I said well what does a stockbroker do maybe that's what I should do when I'm big and uh he explained it you know he, he knew a little bit about shares um anyway he obviously picked up the interest and he said tell you what I will bring home the newspaper from work every evening because this is now we're going back to like 1994. There was no online trading. Um, you know, so if you wanted to know the, the, the share price, you had to either phone your broker or you had to wait for tomorrow morning's newspaper. So he would bring the newspaper home every evening and we would mock trade. We, we got a fictitious amount of money that we started trading with and we hand drew charts on the dining room table every evening. Oh, and, man. and what a time and, to be alive, right? Yeah, Compared yeah, it was really it cool. It, yeah, it just, yeah, totally. And like when you look back on it, it's so different. And like it's all so of us have seen Wolf of Wall Street and all of my listeners probably know, like it's funny you mentioned this because the guy that I just mentioned, Dan and Richard, both of them have been trading for a long time. Dan had been trading similar to you, like from when he was 16 and his dad yeah. was heavily involved in it and kind of guiding yeah. him. So it's interesting yeah. to hear like you, it's been in you and been something that you and your family have been looking at for a long time before all this technology made it super easy. Like you said, yes. back when it was like pen and paper on a newspaper and you were looking at the yeah. close price at the end of the day and seeing what we got, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how it started. And we did well with our fictitious portfolio. And uh, and then, as I say, by the time I was 16, I decided I wanted to try and do this with real money. And I learned a couple of hard lessons. Uh, first of all, when you're 16, you don't have a lot of money, right? So well, I certainly I didn't. So I put everything that I had into a stockbroking account, but it was not much money. And transaction costs just gobbled me up. So that was the one thing. And then I kind of thought, well, at first of all, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I thought you buy cheap shares because if you don't have a lot of money, you can't afford to buy, you know, expensive shares or high priced shares. Let's put it that way, like Amazon or something like that, you know. So, so you know, you go for the penny stocks. The trouble is penny stocks are often penny stocks for a reason. And, and and often they're uh, on their way to zero. So exactly. I learned, I learned that, that the hard way. Um, and then I discovered warrants which uh, uh, your listeners probably know what warrants are, but if they don't, it's like a, no, like a, no re idea. so warrant is like a retail packaged option that, uh, that, that, that you can convert into stock. So, and um, they're, well, they're exchange traded products in South Africa, but there's an issuer and there are market makers. In any case, it's, it's for, for all intents and purposes and to keep it simple, it's an option. And uh, of course, with that comes extra gearing and extra upside, but also massive extra downside if you get it wrong. So basically, I learned that it was a, just a quicker way to lose money. 
So, <laughs> and this is all I love like how you say it, like so cold. You know, I'm thinking about it. I think when I was studying for my series seven, I think I had to learn what warrants were. Like I remember that yeah. being one of the vocab terms I studied. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So as I say, it's just a it's it's like a retail packaged uh, option, okay. effectively. Anyhow, so I blew my account quite a few times. How old are you young. at this point? Oh, I was like 17, 18, 19, 20. Trading these sort of options, age. basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a very slow learner. I didn't, if I had to go back in my life and do it all again, I think I would go on some courses and actually try and get some proper mentorship to learn how to do it properly. Because honestly, I was just winging it. I had no idea what I was doing. And your dad and didn't I have just, any experience either to kind of guide you. He was just opening the door for you really, right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He didn't have any specific trading experience. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so it was kind of like a, a, a difficult start. And I remember at, at a stage when I was about 22, I think I'd been trading for six years. And I, I worked out at that point that I'd lost enough money over the six years that I could have bought a brand new Golf GTI out the box if I'd have rather just saved my money and put it in a bank account, you know. Wow. And, uh, and, and that's quite a bitter pill to swallow, right? When you're 22 years bit. old. But yeah. hopefully you but have anyway. a process too to think, Yes, this is a bitter pill to swallow and I could have bought a car, but this is also maybe tuition. Did you have that yeah. mindset at all? Totally. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I always thought it was, it's it's, it's all this learning, right? Um, I always knew that it was possible to be successful as a trader because other people were doing it successfully. I just hadn't figured out the recipe or the, the way to do it yet. Uh, so I continued to pursue it and I went to university, got a degree in economics, and then eventually my first sort of the proper uh, introduction to the market, I guess, in a professional capacity was that my first job was with a futures broking firm. And we were uh, broking single stock futures and, and index futures to clients in South Africa. And uh, that was a nice opportunity because I got, a, I got into a dealing room, I got to exposure to traders, got to see a bit more about how the market works. And that was actually the first time in my life that I actually got exposure to people who kind of knew how the market worked and what, what to do. So that was, there was a steep learning curve, which was really cool. And then I was there at that firm for about two and a half years. And then I got headhunted to go to another futures broking firm and eventually ended up running the futures desk there for that. Are you firm, still in which... South Africa at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in South Africa most of my life. I've only moved to the UK three years ago. Got it. So okay. my, my, but the vast majority of my career has been in South Africa, and uh, yeah, ended up running the futures desk for this this broker in South Africa, which ended up become getting bought out by one of the big banks, and um, stayed around for a while. But I didn't really like the corporate side of it. Once the bank took over, became very corporate, lots of bureaucracy and red tape, and um, yeah, I always, I always kind of joke that the bank that I worked for is called Nedbank in South Africa and they've got the tagline um um uh what is it sorry I'm gonna you might have to edit this part out because suddenly I've gone blank no it's okay no, <laughs> make no, no. things we're, happen we're... that's it sorry make got things it. happen right the ta it. their tagline was make things happen and I and I actually I thought it was so hard to make anything happen there I had to leave <laughs> to make things happen <laughs> so, so, so so at so, this point would so, you say you're still not like a consistently profitable trader, or would you say you're starting to turn the corner at that point? I'm 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 turning a corner at this point. Th this is where it gets interesting, though, because I had done well there as a broker, 
and we got nice bonuses and reasonable salary. And every as a month. broker, you're just selling it, right? You're not trading yeah. for other people, correct? Well, yeah, exactly. We're not trading for other people, but we were allowed to trade our own personal accounts. Of course. They were obviously, they were, um, you know, tra trading rules, compliance rules and all that, which I found quite limiting. And it was one of the reasons why I wanted to get out and actually do it my, for myself um, out of the corporate world. So anyway, you kind of go from this point of having a nice salary and a nice fat bonus every quarter. And now you suddenly, you know, you're trading from your from home by yourself. You start from zero every month. There's no salary. There's no bonus coming in. That's quite a quite a mind bender. And I don't think I was ready for it, actually. You know, fortunately, I did it at a time in life where I didn't have a family yet. I had no kids, no wife. I had very low limited cost of living. And I had managed to build up a decent stake of capital to keep me going. So it was fine. But, you know, from a psychological perspective, that was something I wasn't prepared for. The idea of going from that safety net of having a salary and a bonus coming in regularly to suddenly there is no safety net. It's now you against the market or you against yourself, I suppose. Uh, but from a psychological perspective, that is uh, that is a big leap. And I think it's a leap that a lot of people uh, underestimate. Certainly, I underestimated it. And uh, it, it took me a while to actually kind of come to terms with it. I mean, what, what I've... What I've to come to terms with it? Well, you know, I, I ended up actually starting a couple of other things on the side as well. So getting a few other passive revenue streams. Getting well, not, money not, right. Not passive it, it, because- Yeah, but you're yeah, still working now. Not, not, get the money right free. so you're not just trading for your income. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So so I ended up, yeah, passive's not the right word. It's, it's actually risk-free, risk-free yes. income stream. So I set up a, a, effectively a blog, but a paid subscription service where I sell my ideas and my research to clients who, who want to hear see it. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a risk-free income stream. I still do that today uh, on my website. Um, I, I did a TV show in South Africa, which was great. That was like good exposure and it brought exposure to my website and to the other things that I was doing. Then I strapped on a course, a trading course later on, um, and then got involved in a few other things. One of the banks in South Africa wanted me to freelance and do a bit of analysis for them. And I still funnily enough do that today as well. So all of these these uh, risk-free income sources, I still do because it does take the pressure off in terms of knowing where your bread and butter is coming from and 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 where the bills are getting paid from. So I, I kind of like it that way that I'm, I don't rely on my trading profits to live off yeah. uh, because I find it's lumpy. Some months you have great months, some months you, you make very little money, some months you lose money. That's yeah. the reality. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a straight line. And I think people who think that traders pull money out of the market every month, like it's some sort of a cash machine, uh, need to realize that that's not the case. Certainly not in my case. And a lot of people I know that's not the case. So you've got to actually uh, understand that your your income is going to be lumpy. There's going to be good times and bad times. And you need to kind of make it through the bad times. I love that. Um, the lumpy. Yeah. The, that's a term for the PL that I don't think anybody on the podcast has ever used before. <laughs> now, really but quick, it, before it, I let you keep going, I just want yeah. to spin this to James for a second because I'm curious. Like your path really to me feels natural. You went yeah. and you went like to work at a bank, you went to go institutional, you stayed entrepreneurial, you started your own thing, you started to bring other money in. And I feel yeah. like James probably looks at you and is like, yo, this is like a lot of what is similar to me. But for yeah. you, James, my question is why? Did you not try to go work at a firm? Like you have a dad who's an accountant, 
you have it like a professional father, your girlfriend's father's a professional. You see these professional guys. What, why did you just go straight retail, James? Why didn't you try to go work at one of these big banks? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. So the reason for that is because I saw my dad working till 12 at night, having to <laughs> fix everybody's mistakes that he would, that they would make at the office. So that's my reasoning. I saw my dad. Is that like, really not it? saying that I didn't just want to work hard. It's just lifestyle. Like I, I actually walked into the, I was playing golf yesterday afternoon before our call and uh, after the training session and my, my girlfriend's buddies were like, um, dude, do you, are you 65? Are you retired? What work do you do? And they're obviously teasing with me. They know what I do, but I'm like, that's the type of, that's why I didn't go into the corporate world uh, personally. Yeah. Um, but I do respect the pe the guys like Garth and that they do go into a corporate world because it does open up connections. Um, but I think uh, I talk a lot of shit. So I, th I think I, I'm, I'm good with making connections without that. <laughs> yeah. And, and you were saying, Garth, how now it's become like you you pulled away from the bank as they kind of got more corporate. I definitely can relate to that. Our, our listeners, I'm sure, can relate to that. So what happened next then as you started to kind of pull away from the bank? Is that when you made the pivot to just retail trading on your own and doing your own money and still running the blog and doing everything like that? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it. So I, I, I left the banking environment, um, started trading my own capital, set up traderscorner.co.za, set up a course, started doing a bit of consulting here and there with the analysis that I do and so on. Um, and that's that's kind of how it's been. And that that was 2009 that I made that leap. And and by the way, I mean, you might ask, that's an interesting time to have made the leap because that was just after the uh, the, the housing crash and the financial crisis yeah. Uh, and the markets got decimated. And actually, yeah. I took that as a good time to leave because the the business that I'd helped to build up in the bank had been, I mean, a lot of our clients got smashed and it was going to be very a big, big job to rebuild that business and build up that client base again. And uh, I just felt like I didn't feel like doing that. And I thought if I'm going to build something, I might as well, you know, if I'm going to rebuild something, I might as well build something for myself. And I figured that was as good a time as any to leave. And also from an age perspective, I was I was 30 years old at that stage. And I felt that, you know, I was young enough to take the risk. And that if I really didn't, if I really screwed it up, I could probably still go back and get a job in the corporate again. So there was some sort of safety net, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. But I kind of felt it was a, it was a good time of life to do it. And if I didn't do it then, and if I'd left it too much later, I might never do it. And I'm glad 100%, I did, you know, hundred percent. And, and, and I, I do look back and I sort of, sometimes I ask, okay, so what, should I have stayed in corporate? Would I have done well? I might've made more money or I might not have, I don't, I don't really know. But the thing that I wouldn't have got is the flexibility of time. Yeah. And, and that I think is something you were alluding to a moment ago, James is like, uh, you, you can't really put a price on time, but having freedom of time is so valuable. So, so valuable, you know, like you say, James, you go and play golf when you feel like it, if the market's not great or you're not seeing, seeing much. You know, I, I also enjoy being able to go out and, you know, watch my kids play sport or go to gym in the middle of the day if things are quiet. I think that's the best thing about it. I think mm, unlimited yeah. income potential is great. Yeah. But like I've, I've been working with people who live in other countries where they don't even need $10,000 a month and they can live a good yeah. life. So yeah. like the, the money is the tool to give you access yeah. to the time. The time is yeah. the freedom. The time is the yeah. currency, you know? Yeah. So then why do you think it's like this now? I'm curious, Garth, like when you were brought up, 
I'm sure part of the reason you went the institutional way with the banks is because other people around you were doing that. And you were like, oh, yeah. this is the path. This is the path. But now yeah. there's kids that are 18 making a hundred grand a month from their prop firm. There's a whole new path for this. So like yeah. lifestyle has come to the forefront of the career decisions. My father, he's 70 almost. And he said to me the other day, he's like, when I was a kid, like your age, when I was 20, 30, 40, yeah. there was no thought about like, do I like my job? You just mm. did it. Like you picked a career and you just shut up and you just be good at it and do it because that's what you chose to do. Now, yeah. like I said, it's all like this. Our, our generation is much more lifestyle focused. Why do you, why do you think yeah. that is? What do you think spawned that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, look, I, I, from a trading perspective, let's just understand one thing is that it, the technology has enabled this. Yes. Uh, so when I started out, you know, why did I go into the broking world and start, join a firm instead of just starting to trade, you know, from from my own account straight away? It probably made well, trading cheaper, right? Well, well, yeah, sure, but also, um, you know, in those days, the technology wasn't there to do it. You didn't have uh, online trading, right? You didn't have, yeah. I mean, well, you did have computers, but you didn't, as a retail client, you didn't really have access to online share trading or right. like we do today, or you didn't have, you know, a, a phone app that you could trade on. So I think um, a lot of those barriers have been broken down by technology, which now yeah. does make it much, much more easily accessible to everybody. And in addition to which is the, the transaction costs have come down as well. So it's it's become from that point of view, it's it's also become a far more accessible thing to do. Yeah, we're becoming technology like cyborgs. You know what I mean? Like the kids yeah. nowadays, they know how to use the technology faster. Okay. I know you and listen, if I'm feeling it, Garth, I know you're feeling it. We're like sometimes you like yeah. I see these kids. I've talked, I've mentioned them on the podcast. I've had a couple of them as guests, hundred K months. It's like yeah. I thought I was doing well. You know what I mean? And then you see yeah. these kids that just know the technology, they can use it much faster. So I think yeah. their learning curve is just different than what it was yeah. for a guy like you, or even for guys like me and James. Yeah. So now let's yeah. let's fast forward a little bit to today, Garth, if you don't mind. Talk to sure. us about like what you do today. Like, let's actually go like this. I'd love to hear your daily routine because you moved to the UK. So now you're in yes. a really good, not that South Africa is a bad time zone for trading, but you can trade both sessions. You can do a lot. So what's yeah. a typical day in the life look like for you now? Yeah, so a typical day in my life is that you know I still do publish my work uh, to my South African clients, where where we have an eight thirty a.m. deadline to publish market research, and that's an eight thirty a.m. South Africa deadline, which means me being in the UK, we're currently we're an hour behind, but in the winter yeah. we're two hours behind. So I'm kind of on the wrong side of the time zone. Um, it means that I have to wake up super early in the morning to start working which I actually enjoy, believe it or not, Ex except in the UK winter, getting up at four o'clock in the morning is a bit tedious. I'm not going to lie. But in the summertime, like it is now, I, you know, I get up at 4.30 in the morning. It's already light outside in the right. UK and it's great. The birds are chirping. It's not, I quite like getting up early and sort of feeling like I get the full, full uh, use of the day. But I get up, I start uh, doing some research, look at what's happened overnight, look at the Asian markets, look at the currencies, look at the commodity prices, um, see if there's any events, economic and company related events due to come out on the day and kind of plot a plan for the day ahead. Look at charts. I mean, I do a lot of scanning of charts, uh, both over the weekend, but also every morning as well. Basically scan my watch list to try and see what, what stocks are setting up. Uh, I've got a bunch of technical setups that I like to trade and I effectively scan the market looking for those setups. And when I see them, I kind of flag them. And, and if I see there's an opportunity, then I'll kind of 
make a note of it, put some alerts into the trading system. If you're looking for a particular breakout level to, to break, or you're looking for a support level to be tested, you know, I, because if it's just me trading, I don't, I've only got one pair of eyes, right? Um, so yeah. I find using alerts on the charts uh, and on the trading platform, very helpful because what it means is that levels that I've maybe identified when I'm doing my research, I've got all these other pairs of eyes effectively watching the levels for me. And every time a level gets hit, I get an alert to be told, you know, like the other day, gold is broken, you know, it's reversed up at 1950. Um, and that's an area where I was wanting to buy it. So like, and I wouldn't have seen that because I was busy doing something else, but I got an alert that popped up and I looked looked at the trading action at that point and said, right, this looks good. This is doing what it should do. It's reversing up. I need to be, be long here. And I've still got that position on right now. Nice. So, you know, that, that that that's kind of how the morning looks. My mornings are very busy because I'm doing all of this research, then also publishing it for my clients in, in say my clients are in South Africa. They're actually all over the world, but there's a majority of them are in South Africa because that's where my history is and where I've got a reputation. Um, then the trading day starts and it's, it's a case of, you know, if there's a trade to do, do it. Uh, if there's not, you're watching, you're keeping an eye on the, the news, etc. cetera. Um, I, I don't like to spend my whole day in front of the screen. And I know some traders do that. And there's certain styles of trading that require you to do that. For me personally, I don't like to be in front of a screen the whole day. I actually do like to get out and about. Uh, I try and get to gym every day or every second day. And typically I go like late morning. So about 10, 10 11 a.m. I get get to the gym, which is more or less lunchtime in South Africa. Um, and, and, and yeah, the style of trading that I do, as I say, is it lends itself more to holding for a couple of days to a couple of weeks, uh, maybe even a couple of months in some cases. But that, that's the style of trading that I do. And I'm not super active. You know, I'm, I'm not the broker's favorite client because I'm not the guy spinning up the commissions like crazy. Oh, uh, like I'm, Mr. Bruce over here spinning up his commissions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what do you think on like, that? that's all very, very well said. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but what, what do you think on like average month? How many trades? Five, 10? No, it's probably between 10 and 20. So you're, I mean, I would say for a swing trader, that's pretty yeah. active. Would you, would you classify yeah. what you do as swing trading more than day trading? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swing yeah. trading. Definitely. Definitely. Do you um, find, okay. So sorry, you go, you go next James. Wait, do you think as yeah. time has gone on Garth, have you shifted towards swing trading over day trading with age? Um, yes, I have. I definitely Everybody have. says that everyone yeah. that is yeah. every, like all the guys that listen to every podcast of mine know you were going to say yes before that. Cause I ask a lot yeah. of the guys that, and everybody has the same answer. Yeah. I I just think less is more. Um, right. I don't think that trading more actively and doing more necessarily yields better results. Uh, I, I kind of liken it to, you know, if you think about the way a leopard hunts, and I know you guys in America always love to say the, the think about the way a lion hunts, but I'm going to correct all of you now. Right? <laughs> Lions have a very low probability of success when it comes to hunting, actually. Yes. It's and a, they hunt in packs. The lions are watching, right? And the lions they stay back and they watch the pack, exactly. right? Yeah, but yeah. but a leopard is what you want to be, right? Yeah. Leopard hunts alone, and a leopard is very very patient, waiting right. for the right opportunity to come along, and it stalks its prey and waits. It can wait hours, and it waits for that right moment before it 
it you know pounces and it attacks yeah. the the impala it's... or whatever it is that it's chosen for dinner that night and uh but the, the the point is that those animals leopards have a much higher kill rate than lions do and as i say they hunt alone but they're also much more patient and i think that's the way i would aspire to trade is to say right i know what i'm looking for in the market in terms of setups mm-hmm. so now i just got to wait for those to come along and yeah spot them and when i see them then act on them um and and i know i'm going to mix my metaphors here but you know again also being a good african south african boy i i i I liken it in a way to scratching for diamonds right we've got a big diamond industry in down in south africa um and i think about it like this you know every time i'm scanning my charts i'm looking i'm digging i'm scratching and i'm scratching for diamonds i'm scratching to find the setups that meet my criteria and in that scratching sometimes you find a small diamond and that's a trade that you know small trade maybe it makes a one one r return but every now and again you come across a big diamond and that's the five r or the 10 r that you that you want to dig out but the fact is if you ain't doing the scratching you're not going to find anything um so that's the way i kind of look at it and i I find the more the more i do scratch around and look the more opportunities I see, uh, but then it's, of course, also having the skill to not just necessarily act on everything you see. You've got to, you've got to be quite selective in terms of the opportunities that? that you do. Specifically. When, when you coach traders, how are you teaching them about selectivity development? Well, I, I, I identify certain high probability technical patterns. They're typically breakout patterns, but not always breakout. Sometimes it can be a pullback into support. And then you say, well, what are you looking for when you pull back into a support level? Well, you're looking for a reversal. You're looking for evidence of volume coming in. You're looking right. for stability. You know, maybe you're looking for the the hourly candle to take out the prior hourly high. That kind of thing. Those types of things. So, I, what what I think is, if you if you just identify three or four high probability technical setups that you know have a on average a, a better than 60 percent success rate trade those and don't trade anything else just wait just be patient for those setups and the thing is if you're looking across enough markets and i'm like i'm looking in south africa i'm looking in the uk i'm also looking in the states i mean there's loads out there so to find 10 or 20 good trades in a month is really not not actually that difficult um and then it's a case of managing your risk and managing your psychology that's actually the most difficult part um and that's where I think you 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 get differentiated as a trader. If you go, if you, the, the 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 really successful traders that I've come across in my time, they just think differently. They they have a different psychology. Uh, they understand risk, but they also know when to press so that you know to try and maximize their winners when they are right. But they're very quick to cut losers when they're wrong. Um, and that's a psychology that I think doesn't always come naturally to people. But it it comes with experience. Yeah, that. Um, <clears throat> uh, Garth, you uh, you've been trading for longer than I've been alive. So I love speaking to guys <laughs> like you. I mean, uh, sorry to to if it made you feel old, but um, I'm but, 24, and uh, yeah. you've been trading for 27 years. So in in your responses here for the for the for the podcast, you have quite a unique uh, a unique um idea let's call it or tactic uh yeah you said what is one of your biggest struggles in trading and how do you work through it you said impulsiveness 
which yeah. uh, I, I, we, I think we all do sometimes. But yeah. you said, I still struggle with it sometimes. I've placed my execution PC on the other side of my office at a different yeah. desk. Yeah. So I need to there physically get up and walk over <laughs> to make a trade. It creates a bit of a tripwire to prevent impulsive actions. Yeah. How did that come about? And, and I love and how that. Did you think of it? I love that. Listeners um, should take note of that. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 look, I don't know. It's just something I kind of came up with one day. Um, I had a spare PC, which is that one behind me that you can see there, right? And I'm sitting at my desk where, where I'm talking to you now, where I do my emails and I do my analysis and research and charts and everything else. Um, but I've made that my execution PC, right? So it's just there. It's only like three meters away. But the fact is I have, and, and it, that PC goes to sleep quite quickly. So I have to get up off my chair, walk over there, wake the machine up, you know, then I've got to type in my password to, to wake the machine up again, um, get into my trading system and then execute the trade. And I think that just slows me down in the sense that I, I, I'm not, it, you know, I don't have the screen open in front of me constantly where I can just hit the button, buy, sell, buy, sell, you know, I do, I mean, I, even after all the years of experience, I do struggle with impulsivity. There's no question. You know, you 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 do you're sometimes think, oh, you're still a human. We're still humans. We're not robots. And I think, you know, there's there's this this notion out there that the best traders behave like a robot. I don't, I don't know if that that's true. I think it's just that they've kind of got a, a control over their emotions. But we all are still emotional creatures. We're human beings, and. You know, it was Stephen Goldstein who said it to me on on my podcast. He said that, you know, it's just, we all have these emotions, but the successful traders just seem to be able to have a better control over their emotions. You can't get away from it. And what he said is basically your emotions are like your shadow. You just can't get away from it. It's with you. It's with you all the time, but you can learn to, to control it a bit better. Yeah. And I found that just, yeah, like literally putting a bit of a tripwire in place between myself and the execution machine. It does, uh, it, it means that if I'm going to go over there to put a trade on, I've really got to mean it. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's serious yeah. business. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. yeah it's for sure. What um, markets are you trading, Garth? Because that was one thing we haven't touched on yet. Because I know they yeah, probably so, changed over time. So what are you doing now? Yeah. So I do still trade a bit of the South African market because that is where I have Stock grown market. up. The stock market, the equity market, AC, yeah, sorry, yeah. in terms of asset classes, yeah, Johannesburg yeah. Stock Exchange trading equities. But that market is becoming very, very thin. And low the, the unfortunately, yeah, low volumes, there's been a lot of shares that have delisted or been bought out or whatever. Is that so because money it, is going into the US markets? Why is that happening? Um, yeah, for a variety of reasons. So there's been a big foreign exodus out of the South African market because it's just a, such a small percentage of the emerging market index now. Yeah. But also, um, yeah, South Africa's got its fair share of troubles politically, uh, economically. What are you talking about? You guys pay homeless people to direct traffic there. What do you mean you got problems? <laughs> They're doing it because the traffic lights don't work. Right, because <laughs> no you guys turned the power off. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, unfortunately, with all of this, the, there's been quite a big exodus of foreign money out of South Africa. And not only foreign money, local money as well has also left to go so what does and that mean? find a home take offshore. the rand and they're going to go turn it into dollars and store it yes. in a foreign bank? Sure. Turn it into dollars and buy other stocks, buy US stocks or European stocks. That's rich. You know? Richard still has his US brokerage account, even though he's in South Africa. He's still trading. Well, we all markets. do. 
We all yeah. do. I mean, I do. I did when I lived in South Africa and anybody with, with a bit of money and a bit of sense would do that yeah. uh, because I think it's just, it's prudent. It's diversifying your wealth. Um, so what do you guys, into, I mean, since you're in the UK now, what's the, the, all the fear porn here in the United States is about South Africa joining Russia and China and getting away from the US dollar. But when I talk to people on the ground in South Africa, nobody's telling me that they're using Russian rubles to buy things right now. They're nah, still wanting nah. US dollars. What are your of thoughts course. on all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm completely with you on that. I mean, I think the, the US dollar is the world's reserve currency yeah. and that's not about to change. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in a decade or two decades time, maybe there's a, another currency that comes up and it sort of starts to vie for, for number two, one spot. But I don't see that anytime soon. You know, yeah. the US dollar is the world's reserve currency uh, and there's nothing close to it at the moment. I so I agree. So I, I I think all of that sort of fear mongering is probably a bit misplaced. Yeah. It's for the headlines. That's what it yeah. is. Just like it is. the last couple of weeks, it's been the debt ceiling, the debt ceiling. And then what happens? They raise the debt ceiling. They, they've yeah. done it 90 times since World yeah. War II ended. What did you yeah. think was going to happen? They run it yeah. through the headlines. It gets everybody scared. It creates reaction in the market. And then, yeah. then they, they do the same thing they've always done. Kick the can yeah. down the road. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. But you were, you were asking about the market. So I, I was saying, yes. yeah, I, I trade South Africa still, but that's become a smaller part of what I do. Uh, I've more and more shifted. Well, the vast majority of my capital is is in the offshore markets in dollars. So I'm trading US equities uh, indices. I, I like trading the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. I also trade options, predominantly options on the index. So be that um, op options on the NASDAQ or options on the on the S&P 500. I quite enjoy doing structures which which run out for you know a month or two using options. So they can be put spreads or call spreads, those types of structures using options. And that's where I, I find as a nice way to express a medium term view is to do it with option structures. So there's that. Um, I do dabble in a little bit of currency here and there. Uh, pound dollar I quite enjoy trading because I find that moves around quite nicely and it follows the technicals quite nicely euro dollar obviously also does and then others like gold like oil you know so for, predominantly if it's got a price and it moves um, I'm I'll, I'll have a go I'll trade it but it's got to fit my technical criteria love that yeah. I love um, that Go, James. You mentioned you mentioned here um, as well, Garth. I think this is quite a big one for. I think if I, a lot of traders, especially me, if, had realized this early in their careers, it would have saved them a lot of pain and and uh, and uh, heartache um, and emotions, as we were speaking about. But you said here your aha moment in your trading was position sizing methods from taught by Dr. David Paul. I've yes. heard of David Paul. Can you maybe elaborate on those methods, those position size sizing methods? Yeah, it's look. I mean, I think for probably a lot of the listeners to the this this podcast, that might, might seem obvious, but it's the the bog standard. You know, let's just use an example. Um, you've got a hundred thousand dollars in your account. You want to risk one percent of your capital. Okay, so that's one thousand dollars you're willing to lose. Right now, we've got a situation where we're going to buy a stock that's fifty dollars, right, and we're going to put a stop loss at forty nine dollars. So you've got your risk per share is $1 per share and you're willing to lose $1,000. So to calculate your position size, you take the capital you're willing to lose, which is $1,000 and you and you divide that by uh, the risk per share, which is 
which is $1. So it means you can effectively buy a thousand shares of the stock that you're wanting to trade. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, and it's, it, that this is simple stuff, but you know, before I never thought about it like that, you know, it never thought about risk in that sense, in terms of how much am I actually willing to lose? You always think, well, how much am I willing to make or how big, yeah. what, what sort of size position am I willing to take here? But yeah. actually the, the right question to ask yourself is how much do I want to, how much am I willing to lose to find out whether I'm right on this trade? And, yeah. and that's it. And that, that was, it was an aha moment for me because it, it also meant that my uh, P&L swings started to become a lot less volatile when I started to apply that methodology. Why? Because you were sizing correctly or just because you were cutting your losses smaller and letting your winners run? Well, both. I think I was okay. I was sizing the positions correctly, but I was also making sure my losses were contained to a limited percentage of my account. Sure. Whereas before I hadn't ever really thought about that. You know, you'd you'd run a position it'd be down five, six, seven percent, you know, and 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 that creates very volatile PL swings. And I didn't like that. And I think it it does it also is maybe an age thing as well. And I just don't have the appetite for that kind of uh, volatility anymore. I suppose it's also because, you know, as you get older, you get more responsibilities. James, you've still got to get to this point in your life. But, yeah. you know, kids, bills, school fees, uh, you know, <laughs> home loans, mortgages, <laughs> you know, car payments, cricket, all of, the, all of these things. Cricket bats and equipment for the sun. Yeah, exactly. Or like when my like my son who lost his cricket helmet last week, and now we've got to go and buy him a new cricket helmet, because you know dad'll just buy another one. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 you know these these kind of things. Um, I, I guess as your life as you progress through life, your financial commitments become bigger, and as a consequence, your appetite for financial loss also diminishes. Well, that's been my experience. Maybe it's not everybody's. But no, you know, I think it is. That's I think, very well said. I think that there's, you know, there's that saying about pilots. It's, there's there's old old pilots and bold pilots, but there's no old bold pilots. <laughs> and I and I and I, I think good. that that I think the same applies to trading, right? There's there's old traders and there's bold traders, but there's very few old bold traders. Damn, James, you, know? you already got one thing not going for you, bro. <laughs> you already got that bold check mark, bro. <laughs> I'm not saying bold as in. That I'm saying bold as in you know. I know. Yeah. I, I, I know. I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just joking. No, that's that's very that's that's great. I mean, it's very well said on your part, but I think it, it is just a good reminder for all of us. Really, it is. So now, yeah, as you've been continuing to constantly just see markets change through technology, through different presidents, through different economic situations, because you, like James said, you've been trading for a lot of years. Just talk to us, maybe a little bit about what do you see coming. Like, do you think there's some strong trends in the dollar that we should be on the lookout for today? Dollar index is what? 103, 103.40, yeah, something like that. Coming down and, a bit, yeah. Yeah. And so any thoughts on like future? I, I just like to get everybody's gauge on future. Yeah. So look, I mean, I'll talk about it in the space that I'm mainly familiar with, which is the equity space. Yes. Um, you know, I'm finding this market, there's a lot of conundrums we faced with at the moment. It's... Uh, it's a market where th there's not a huge amount of participation in the rally currently. I mean, and there's lo been lots of coverage about this on Twitter and what have you out there. Right. 
when if you look at the S and P five hundred equal weight, it's the the chart doesn't look good. It actually looks no, it's like it's, it's seven long, stocks like, holding this thing up. That's it. Correct, exactly. Yeah. And so so when market breadth is that narrow, you do yeah. kind of think like, oh, okay, so you know S and P is up today. It's above forty two hundred, but it's it's very narrow leadership that's taking it up there. And how 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 you know can we trust that breakout, or is it going to be a fake breakout that's going to you know suck everybody in and it's like a classic bear market rally sucks everybody in every bull exactly, trap that's exactly and then spits what I'm them out is. on the other side do you, i mean but, come on you have the experience yeah. you think that's what this is well well that, i do think that's what it is but the the fact is i mean i could be wrong right the of markets course, are that markets can stay irrational longer than you can remain solvent yep. so that that's what we've always got to remember and that so so yeah i mean you, i'll tell you what i think but what the market actually doesn't care what i think market's no. going to do whatever the market's going to do of course but so where are we now? So we 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 you know S and P five hundred we're above forty two hundred right now as we speak. Does it stay there? I don't know. If it does stay there, I think that the pain trade is possibly higher because I think there's a lot of people like you and I who think that it's probably you know this is an unhealthy market. There's narrow leadership. You know we're staring down a recession. Um, the the effect of interest rate hikes hasn't yet been fully felt. There's a lag effect of that. They're it's even still saying the they're going to continue to raise rates today. They yeah. said they might even continue to do it. So wouldn't that yes. be bearish? But then here well, we are, just ripping to the upside. You know. Well, the thing is exactly we're ripping to the upside. So you can make a case where all of this stuff should be bearish. And but but what I think, and again, this is what I think, and the market don't care what I think, but it's what I think is that it probably will go up. It'll probably squeeze out all the bears. And once they're all squeezed out, then it will do the obvious thing, which is yep. go down. So and that's we what go? we're all 4,300, 4,350, something like that. Yeah, yeah maybe. Out. I mean, so 4,300 and thereabout is a 61.8% retracement of the entire yep. bear market through 2022. Yep. So yep. that would be a, like an interesting technical area where one would expect a little bit of resistance to potentially crop up. And I think if we, if we sort of um, explode up into that area, which is feeling like it might do, then that, that and, and we almost get a little bit of an exhaustion up into that zone. That would potentially give me more confidence that it perhaps a short-term top gets put in somewhere right, around that, there. How do squeezes end? Squeezes end with a violent push at the upside yeah. at the end, right? They, yeah. they get that last little squeeze out, that last yeah. little bit of pain, make sure yeah. everybody closes their shorts, and yeah. then it goes. And that's right. And, and the thing is also, if you look at the positioning, th there is a very big short position out there. Um, Huge. One of in, the biggest in, in the last like 10 or 15 years. Through, yeah. You're talking about like institutionally, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing about shorts, you know, is they have to buy back at some point. They and they would obviously like to buy back when it's lower. But if the market keeps ripping higher, they're going to end up being close. forced. They're going to be forced to cover, and that's yeah. what's going to drive the market up. And that's, that's probably the, the thing. That, that'll be the one that creates that sort of um, blow off top uh, when the last bear has been killed. That's yep. when the, the obvious <laughs> and, and, thing will probably happen. And then hopefully we're still alive and we can back up the truck and start loading up yeah. the shorts and <laughs> start waiting for the thing to come back. Yeah. Well, but that's you know, it, right? Just yeah, you want us to be one of the ones that actually does manage to stay alive for that. But of course, in the interim. You know, there's opportunities. Long uh, you and know, short, if, if, 100%. Ex long and short. And if we think, if we're talking this way and we're saying the market feels like it's going to squeeze to 4,300, then then why aren't we long? Right. 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 <laughs> That's 100%. the hard trade. That's the, That's hard, the hard trade, trade. to do now. It's easy and, but often the hard trade... to sell it on the way down, but yeah. it's not It's not easy to sell it here as we're up 13, 15% from the bottom. 
you know, yeah. 20% for the bottom, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. It's a tougher yeah. trade. You're exactly. Yeah. So I'm glad yeah. to hear someone like you with experience also feels the uncertainty that I have eight years, seven years of experience. Like I, I, I see this is very uncertain. This is not clear like 2020 or even 2021 into 2022 where you knew what was going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. The raising interest rates sent the market lower. The cheap yeah. money in 2020 sent the market higher, right? So mm -hmm. Fed mm -hmm. drives policy. And now with Fed members, half of them saying, yeah, we might raise rates. Yeah, we might pause rates. Yeah, we might. We might. Who knows? We might. Like it's all, yeah. it's just this constant, like one day you'll see the percentage likelihood of the rate hike be at 70% next month. Yeah. And then within the next day, two speakers said something last night. Now we're at 40% likelihood. Yeah. So very yeah. much, it's very tumultuous. It's very headline driven and exactly that, you know, it, it, which makes it tricky. And that story about interest rates, you know, I think one thing we've got to keep in mind is yes, hiking interest rates, you know, has the effect of slowing the economy and what have you. Mm. Uh, but the, I suppose right now we've got to look at it and say, if they are still talking about further rate hikes, which is not what the market's expecting, well, then what does that tell you about the economy? Maybe the economy is stronger than they think. And and that's what the equity market is kind of telling you at the moment as well. Fair. So, you know, you know, you got to think but you about know what? Like Wait, that. I got it. I have to enter my point on that. Like the economy itself could be strong, but that depends on mm -hmm. what do you consider the economy? Because when yeah. they look at these reads, for example, unemployment, unemployment used to not categorize or count people that had more than one job. You were either full-time yeah. employed or you were part-time and unemployed. They've changed yeah. the way that we read these numbers. And I think mm -hmm. that it, it puts a veil over what's actually going on sometimes. So yeah. I don't know. Even if the numbers look strong, what's everyday? What's the everyday person? Are they struggling or are they doing well? I think everyday person, a lot of people that I know have multiple jobs. They have a job yeah. and then they're doing something on the weekend, running a photo booth at a party, driving for Uber Eats, doing something else to make more money. I don't know yeah. if that's signs of a strong economy. In my like, in my opinion, yeah, I mean, that's a very good point, a very good point that you make. And I guess if we if we go back to thinking about it, you know, look what we said about the S and P five hundred equal weight. Um, yes. that's where you're stripping out the apples, the Nvidia's, uh, Microsoft, and we're up one percent this year. Uh, exactly, and and there are a lot of stocks in the US that are looking weak. Weak. So you know, the, maybe that is is what that that is a more accurate reflection of the economy. The overall equity market, the S and P five hundred, the Nasdaq, it's not an accurate reflection of what's. No, because really why is Nvidia ground. ripping? Well, what else would you dump your money into if you were a big fund right now? Give me another yeah. stock. They already own Apple. They already own Amazon. Like think about it from yeah. their perspective. The money yeah. in those other stocks is already deployed. They're looking mm. for this. We all know. And I'm, I'm curious if you agree with this. I think the new bubble, like we lived through the tech bubble, we lived through yeah. these, I think the new one is going to be AI, the tech yeah. companies that lead us through with AI. So if sure. I'm thinking that, and I'm average Austin, just sitting here at home doing my Twitter research, you know, the hedge funds are thinking that, and they're looking for the next big AI play. Okay. Yeah. NVIDIA speaks about it. All the money goes to NVIDIA. And then, like yeah. you said, look at the equal weight, all these other companies. One of them is out there. That's going to be great with AI. They're not even attractive yeah. right now because all the money is just going to NVIDIA. And that's why I jumped yeah. 30%. Yeah. 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 That, and and look, I mean, not just NVIDIA, but the, the, that space, anything that's yeah. kept that, that is, you know, so like AMD is another one that's done pretty yep. well. And there yep. are others. So there's, there are AI stocks out there. I mean, anyone listening to it, I suppose, go and look at the bots, B-O-T-Z ETF. That's the robotics ETF. Um, that's got a lot of AI stuff like day in, it, day. in it. Oh, it's yeah. up beautifully, bro. From the yeah. bottom and in October, it's up exactly sixty-three percent, sixty-one percent. Yeah. So that's that's your you know your diversified 
AI kind of play if you want. Um, and if you could probably fish around in there to see what the constituents of that ETF are, if you want to try and identify some other AI stocks, which maybe still have legs. But I agree with you that it is the next bubble. It's certainly sh shaping up to be that way. Um, and the thing about bubbles is that you just don't know how big they inflate before they pop. And often they will inflate more than you think that's, that is possible. Right. And you don't so, want to be Peter know, Schiff saying end of the world, end of the world, end of the world, no. and miss a great bull market. You got to get yeah, in. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, the, the, and, and the thing also about a bubble, remember, is that like it, it starts off slowly and then it picks up speed and then it's sort of the, the charts become steeper and steeper and steeper. So the last, you know, I don't know, the, the, the last quartile of time in that bubble is probably when the vast majority of the money gets made. But the, the the trouble is historically that's also when you know the shoe shine guy and the hairdresser. I was just gonna say, barber, bro, when the taxi um, driver's that, in there. Yeah, right? those are the guys like coming in and getting involved at the top, and 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 invariably that's the time when the smart money is actually taking profits, and the 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 taxi driver or the barber or the shoe shine guy is the bag holder. So I suppose the the, the lesson is there's money to be made in bubbles, but yeah, manage your risk and. Um, don't chase it if it's already looking too steep. Yeah, I guess you got to just be a little careful. Yeah, I love that. That was and don't short it. Said. That's the other thing. Like don't, don't short because 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 you know that's the other thing, right? Is guys will look at it and say, oh, you know, Nvidia is up three hundred percent, whatever. Yeah, right. it's a well, short. Bro, it's going to be up five hundred percent tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So relax. Exactly. Yeah. And and the other thing is, you don't have to try and pick the top, right? Mm -hmm. You really don't have to pick the top. Just go back and look at any stock that's gone and been gone parabolic as in a bubble um, and look at when it eventually peaks and it has a massive pullback, then it'll have a rally and it'll fail and make a lower high. That's the time to get involved on the short side. If you want to try and short these mm -hmm. things, don't try and short them on the way up while it's moving up. Right. That's exactly. just like, you don't want to try to buy and try to catch a falling knife. Just stay Correct. out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's plenty of time to short these things. Once the bubbles burst, you yes. don't have to do it. You know, you don't have to try and be a hero trying to pick a top when it's still going up. I saw there was a play on, uh, I think it was Solana. I had a sell signal on it on a weekly or monthly chart in January of this year. It's down 60% yeah. in five months. Well, yeah. when did the bear market start for these altcoins? Like 18 months ago. So you do yeah. not have to be first and you can still see double, triple digit returns. Correct. 100% agree. But you will yeah. lose double, triple, quadruple digits on the way up if you just keep trying to sell before you have any idea that it's going to fall over. I remember exactly. I was talking to Scott Redler once and he was saying he was able to quote like after the Bitcoin rally in 2017, he knew exactly the price that the eight and the 21 EMAs crossed down after the run up. He's like, that yeah. should have been your first and last sign to say we're out of all longs at this point. Now yeah. we can yeah. start to look just simple EMA crossovers are what a lot of these guys look at and it and it's very helpful. So it Garth, is. this is this is such good insight. Such good insight. Thank My, you. I have one more question for you, if you don't mind. Mm. Did you yeah. have anything you wanted to chop in on this, James? I don't mean to. No, no, no. I've okay. enjoyed listening. I, this is not my expertise, but I enjoy listening to- I know, to you're me. always quiet when we go into the stock stuff. I'm, and in my yeah. head, I'm thinking, I'm like, yo, James needs to get his get his shit together when it comes to this. So he knows, James is like, what's <laughs> NVIDIA? What do they do? Ah, no, 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 don't, I'm not- No, 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 no. So wait, here, here's my last question for you. So as someone with, I would say, more experience than majority of our guests, if you have to look back at yourself when you first started trading, what is one piece of advice that you would go back 20 something years ago and tell- Let's even say the the Garth who is working, not just trading at home when you're 16, say like 25, 26-year-old Garth. The corner is turning. You're working at the banks, seeing that 
what would you, what would be the best piece of advice to give you then? Sure. I, I mean, if I, if I could go back and to the beginning or to when I was 20 years old, I, I would go on, you know, a bunch of courses and actually learn how to trade, get the, get the foundations right. Um, I think that's important to not, not everything, but because psychology is the vast majority of what makes you successful or not as a trader. But I mean, I, I think I started with very weak foundations just from in terms of everything. Um, and I would have, you know, and, and see this as a learning, a learning experience, but you're always a student of the market. Uh, yeah, it's a constant learning. You're never going to know everything. You're constantly learning and see it as that it's an adventure, but, 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 but also, you know, manage your risk and know that, um, I don't think trading is a get rich quick scheme. It's a get rich slow scheme. And I think too many of, and I can't mind include myself with this. I thought it was going to be a get rich quick scheme. And, and when you're young and you've got, you know, big balls and what have you, you want to go and swing for the fences. Um, you know, I lost a lot of money swinging for the fences when I was a youngster. And, and, and if I had have actually had the foresight to say, this is a, you know, just do it carefully, just do it slowly, build your wealth slowly. You actually, you, you'll, you'll do better in the long run like that. I love it. Great, great yeah. advice, Garth. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. the time, Garth. This has been an amazing episode. I'm sure the listeners love it. So for everyone Thanks. that is still here, Make sure you check out Garth's social media links down below. I'm going to put those in the description. Make sure you subscribe to him on Twitter and get updated everything there so you can stay up to date on some of his ideas. We love that. And if you have any questions for Garth, put those in the comments on YouTube. Let us know what you guys think. If there's anything you want us to ask Garth next time we sit down, we'll make sure to check those comments and get that to him. So for now, awesome. we're going to put a pin in this, Garth. I really appreciate you. James, I really appreciate you. It's always good to chat with some South African traders. I know you're in the UK Thanks. now, but still a South African good old boy forever, right, yeah. Garth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, always. I'm still supporting the Springboks forever. <laughs> forever, forever. So we love yeah. it. We appreciate all you guys listening. Make sure you follow and connect with Garth down below. Make sure you're subscribed here on the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.